We all have a tendency to run away from hard things. A number of years ago, there was a book written by two twin 16-year-old brothers, and it was called Do Hard Things, A Teenager's Rebellion Against Low Expectations. And today, these brothers are in their 30s, and I watched a YouTube update video from them recently, and I think they have a different take on what it means to do hard things, different from when they wrote it at 16 years old. At 16, doing hard things meant striving and working hard, but life also has a way of giving you hard things, things you don't necessarily work for or choose. Here's a quote from one of the brothers who cared for his very sick young wife during the first nine years of their marriage. He said, doing hard things is not just about doing the big things that everybody sees but to be faithful to do the things that are hard without other people watching. When we go through hard things, we have a choice of whether to be faithful or to run away. Today, you're joining us in the second week of our series about Jonah. And in this series, we're going to walk through the story of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, as written in the book of the Old Testament of the Bible called Jonah. And Jonah was in a season of history when God spoke to his people through the prophets. The prophet would receive a word from God, and then they would tell that word to the other people and relay that God's word to others. And most of the prophets were really obedient to God, even though their job was hard, because they often had to tell people things they didn't want to hear. But Jonah was not like the other prophets. Jonah did not do what God said, mostly because the people that God wanted Jonah to go give a message to, the people of Nineveh, Jonah thought they were so bad that they didn't even deserve God's grace. So Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh, and instead he decides to run away from God. And in an effort to escape God's call, Jonah gets on a boat to go to a whole other city in the opposite direction of Nineveh. But God slows him down, and he slows him down with a storm. And ultimately, Jonah ends up being thrown over the side of the boat, and a big fish comes along, and Jonah lives in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And this is where we pick up our story today in Jonah chapter 2. From the inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for your help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So here we have Jonah running from God, and God tries to get his attention with a storm. 
But Jonah insists that being thrown overboard, he would rather do that than turn back and obey God. But God rescues Jonah from certain death and allows him to live for three days in the belly of a fish. And Jonah sits in the belly of the fish. I mean, surely one of the lowest points of his entire life. And he begins to pray. What's weird is Jonah didn't pray when the storm was raging on the boat. No, instead of praying, he asked to be thrown overboard. And now here he is in the fish and he finally prays. And Jonah's prayer is actually a recognition of God's grace, God's undeserved favor. The last thing Jonah deserves is the first thing that God offers. And from the belly of the whale, Jonah acknowledges the grace of God. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord in my distress. When he was sinking to the bottom of the sea, when he's choosing to die rather than obey God, and he's sinking down and he calls out to the Lord. And this is the amazing part. This is the grace part. Jonah says, and he, the Lord, he answered me. See, in his grace, God answered Jonah. And then Jonah says, I called out for your help and you listened to my cry. In another translation, it says, you heard my voice. See, God didn't have to hear Jonah's voice. He was running from God. And yet God chose to hear Jonah's voice anyway. He chose to listen to Jonah's cry. See, Jonah could not outrun the grace of God. And this is good news for us. Because when we read these Old Testament stories, it's like holding up a mirror into our own lives. And we allow the Bible and these Old Testament stories to read us. And Jonah's story is no exception. We will read Jonah's story as our own autobiography. We, like Jonah, run, doing life our own way instead of God's way, avoiding God's call on our life. And that's all good and fine until we are faced with the unimaginable. We lose a loved one. We lose our health. We lose our career, our friends, our ability to be at peace. We're racked with anxiety. Everything around us is going against us. And then, like Jonah, in the depths of the pit, we cry out to God. This reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis that says, Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Jonah was asleep in the boat. He was asleep to God's call on his life, asleep to the mission. God's call for Jonah it was falling on deaf ears, and he refused to submit and listen to God. And in spite of all this, in spite of his running, God allows the painful situation of sitting in the stomach of a fish to wake Jonah up by his grace. And even though Jonah turns his back on God, God does not turn his back on Jonah. Even though Jonah stopped pursuing God, God does not stop pursuing Jonah. 
In his grace, God sends this fish. So, in Jonah's story, we learn about what God's grace looks like for those who run. God's grace looks like answers, and it looks like listening. When Jonah ran because of God's grace, God answered him, and he listened to his voice. So when we run because of his grace, God answers us, and he listens to our voice. All right, so Jonah continues in his prayer, and he says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. At last, at this moment, Jonah recognizes and feels how far from God he really is. He feels he has been banished from God's sight. And in that moment, he decides that he will look again at God's holy temple. Jonah will gaze again at God, his holiness, his grace, his mercy, his love. He will bask again in the graceful, loving character of God. And then Jonah rejoices in his prayer knowing that no matter how far he gets, no matter how deeply entrenched he is in going his own way, God will bring his life up from the pit. So I was wondering, as I was thinking about this story, like how long did it take Jonah to pray the prayer? Because spoiler alert here, at the end of this prayer, God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. So right after the prayer, Jonah's out. So I'm wondering, did it take Jonah two and a half days in the belly of the fish to pray to God? How long do we have to be in our pit, swallowed by the world, being choked by our own way, allowing lies like seaweed to wrap around our head? How long before we recognize that we're running from God's call on our life? How desperate do we need to get before we decide that we will again look at God's holiness? There's this cliche saying that you hear in church circles sometimes, and it goes like this. You never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. It's one of those statements that you kind of want to gloss over, roll your eyes at, and go blah, 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 blah. But this statement gained credibility to me when it was spoken by people in addiction recovery. After six years of working with addicts in recovery, I saw this statement take on some real meaning. Some of the people that I met had lost everything. They lost family, jobs, financial savings. They had lost their health, their reputation. They would lost trust. Everything was gone. And the only hope they had left was Jesus. The one whose grace demonstrated on the cross was the only hope they had. And these folks were literally brought up out of the pit of life by the grace of God. This is Jonah. In this moment, inside the fish, God is Jonah's only hope, and he recognizes God's grace to him. 
God's undeserved favor. In our stuck places, our dead ends, our belly of the fish moments, these are the places where we realize this truth, that Jesus is really all we need. And so we pray, and God listens to our voice. From 2004 to 2005, I was in a season of running. God was beginning to speak a vision over my life and my husband Troy's life that involved moving to Kansas City and starting a church. And every time the idea was presented to me, I said, no, absolutely no. I had so many reasons to say no to this calling. My kids, our finances, our current success in ministry right where we were. So many reasons. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to talk about it. And I certainly did not want to pray about it. And then the moment came. The disruption in my soul was so strong and so clear. I had to pray. And in his grace, God answers. And in his grace, God hears my voice. And it took all the faith that I could muster to trust God's provision, his care for my children, his ability to do something way above what we could hope or do on our own. And in his grace, we continue to walk out this story of church planting, not just this church that I call my home, but Restore has been involved in planting 59 churches in the last 15 years. God's way is always better than my way. <laughs> my way is short-sighted. God's way is eternal. So the story of Jonah, it's not only a personal autobiography of us as individuals. It's also an autobiography of the church as a whole. We run from God's calling individually, but we can also run from God's calling collectively as a church. Both individually and collectively, our calling is to bring the presence of God to the world. We have been anointed both individually and as a community together to use the gifts that God has given us to bring the presence of God to our larger community. That is our calling. And yet, we run. I fight it every day at some moment of the day. We have so many excuses, and they're good ones. Just like Jonah, they're valid. What about my children, my friends, my reputation, my finances? And so we run. We allow the story of Jonah to read us, when we allow that, as we consider this story as our own autobiography, we're left with this question. What calling of God are you running from? Individually, you as a person. And then what calling are we running from collectively as a church? See, individually it could be inviting a friend to coffee, 
using your gifts to serve the body of Christ, giving generously to those who are struggling, raising your children with intention, sitting with someone who is alone in the lunchroom at your school. Collectively, it could be we're running from serving together in this local expression of Christ's body, the church, fulfilling our calling as a community, as a church right here. It will take every single one of us using our particular gifts to love and serve those around us, to create a safe place, both online and in person, for people to find their way back to God. So what call from God might you be running from? Pastor Rich Viotis of New Life City Fellowship Church in New York, he brilliantly compares the story of Jonah on the boat in the storm to the story of Jesus on a boat in the storm. Viotis says, the writers of the New Testament had to have the story of Jonah in mind when they wrote the story of Jesus also on a boat in a storm. And like Jonah, Jesus was in the boat in the middle of this storm, and the two stories have so many parallels. Jonah slept in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat. The captain wakes Jonah up. The disciples wake Jesus up. The sailors ask Jonah questions. The disciples ask Jesus a question. The sea was rough. The sea was rough. The sailors row hard. The disciples row hard. Jonah is thrown off the boat and the wind is calmed. Jesus stands up in the boat and calms the wind. Jesus is like the anti-Jonah, a better Jonah. Jonah runs away from the will of God, seeking to preserve himself. And Jesus runs toward the will of God, seeking to sacrifice himself. And there it is. Jesus' is grace in our running. So much grace that he runs towards God's will and sacrifices himself for us. So for me and you, as we fight that running tendency every day of our lives, in our running, there's grace. And when we recognize that grace, it compels us to repentance. And repentance causes us to turn and embrace our calling for the mission of Jesus, both individually and as a church.